church. How are we doing? Um, you ever feel like things are just a little bit off, not quite going right? Maybe like, you know, you're weak, you woke up late, you know, the coffee was bad, you know, it's raining outside, it's weird. You know, it goes from being 150 degrees to like, we're in the Pacific Northwest. Everything just seems a little, little what, what do you do when things aren't going the way you want them to go? Well, for me, I, I coach salespeople. That's what I do, right? So when we see that things aren't working properly, we take a step back and we kind of get back to the basics. And we think about what is it that's going to accomplish the goal that we want to accomplish? And then we think about those things and then figure out kind of where we're off track, right? So we're going to be in Ephesians and we're starting a new series this morning called Square One. The idea that we're going to get back to the basics of what it means to be in Christ. What does that look like, right? So to give you some of the background of Ephesians, it was written by Paul around 61 to 63 AD, and he was in house arrest in Rome, okay? So Paul's under arrest, and he, being a Roman citizen, has the option to appeal to Caesar. So he says, I appeal to Caesar, and now he's going to go before Nero to make his case as to why what he's being charged of, he's innocent of. Well, while he's under house arrest, he's there for two years, right? So picture this like missionary guy running into all these different cities, going, go, 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 the evangelist of evangelists telling people, hey, you need to repent, follow Jesus. And then he's shackled up. And then he has to sit in a house for how many years? Two years. Say two years. Is that a little bit of time or a lot of time? I mean, I know we're sitting around going, well, you know, grand scheme of things, not a ton of time, but for a go, 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 go guy, right? That's, that's a good chunk of time. And now he's going to sit there and he's like, has to think about what it is that God's been doing in his life and what God has for him and what's happening right now. Well, something cool happens. A lot of these churches that he helped set up, they start writing to him, coming and seeing him and, and asking questions because, you know, people are people. And even when things are great, you know, there's always something that's a little bit off, right? And he's dealing with a lot of problems. And he writes many of the epistles that we read in the Bible while under house arrest, Ephesians being one of them. So let's go a little bit of background before we jump in into Ephesus. Now, who can, real quick, who in fifth grade read their Seven Wonders of the Ancient World book and knows what this is? I know I got one person I can point at. I'm, I, where are we at? That's the temple. It's, it's uh, the temple of Artemis in Ephesus, okay? So you guys need to go back through your fifth grade books. It's cool. So this, this, this is Ephesus, okay? This is the town, okay? This is a big, big town, right? This is a, a major city for Rome, okay? And this is the, the temple. It's kind of, a, kind of a big deal, right? They got an amphitheater. They got the latest movies. They got all, like, th this is a city of cities, right? And Paul went there. And oddly enough, he was there for two years. Now, you can read in, if, you want, if you're taking notes, Acts 19 is when he was in Ephesus. So while Paul's in Ephesus, a lot of people get converted. A lot of people get to know Jesus. Now, remember the culture of the time. You had the Jewish people who are waiting for this Messiah, and some of them realize that it's Jesus, right? They decide to follow Jesus, and they realize, okay, this is the promised Messiah. And then you have the Gentiles who are who? Everyone else. Everybody else is the Gentiles, right? So Gentile believers 
come to know Christ, right? So then you have these house churches, like a church in Ephesus, and they're getting together. And then you have these Jewish believers with you know, their background. And then you have these Gentile believers who were hanging out here. And now they're all together trying to figure this thing out together. And sometimes it doesn't go great. And there was this group called the Judaizers who were saying to them, you have to follow all of our customs. You have to basically become Jewish. And Paul is dealing with this. It's a big problem in that first century church where they're dealing with people who a lot of them are saying, a lot of these Jewish folks are saying, no, no, you have to follow all of these restrictions. And they're saying, well, I'm not Jewish though. I was saved by Christ. My, my relationship with God is based on Jesus, right? So there's a tension there. Can you feel it? So that is the church that Paul helped set up. And that's the church who he's writing to in Ephesians. So now that we've level set around that, do you feel like you got a better idea of Ephesus, where we're going? Okay, I'm getting a nod. I'll take it. All right, cool. So let's begin uh, with, as we do customarily, the disciples' prayer. Remember, these aren't magic words, right? This is the way that Jesus did, you know, showed us how to pray. So that's how we do it on a Sunday morning together. So we would invite you to pray along. The words are up there if you'd like to. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. All right. So we're going to jump into Ephesians chapter 1. We're going to read through verse 14. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved." Verse 7, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all his wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven, and things on earth. In him we have obtained inheritance having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory." That's a big sentence, right? So there's a lot here. And we're going to unpack it. But before we get into there, there's, there's, we got to make sure we understand in these first couple of verses that the, God has blessed us and he's going to explain how. So 
the, the big idea, which we're not going to camp on too much because we're going to unpack it at the end, is that God picked you to be in Christ for what? His purpose, okay? Something that we got to make sure we understand before we even get started as we go through these first couple of verses, it says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the, in the heavenly places. God initiated this. You didn't. I didn't. It wasn't my idea to be saved. It was his. He's the one who pursued us. He's the one who came after us. He's the one who initiated everything. So as we go through these next couple of verses, understand who's in control. He's the one that was pursuing us. So let's unpack them here. Verses four through six. Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him, in love he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his, glor of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. Okay? So let's unpack this here for a second. We were chosen to be set apart before the foundation of the world to be adopted into his family. Now, a couple things we could do here, right? We could get into some big, crazy, hoopla, theological debate about what all that stuff means, and we could get into it, or we could think about for a moment what the purpose of the passage is. Paul is dealing with what two groups, primarily? The Jews and the Gentiles, right? And what's their problem? Yeah, so they're having this issue. So you know what Paul didn't do? Throw a bomb in in a letter for them to fight more. That wasn't what he was doing. What he was going to do is he's going to point out who they are in Christ and spend this time doing that. So it kind of seems silly to then get into a crazy theological debate about being chosen by God and what that really means, right? It's God who existed before time. So what does it look like for him to explain to us about being chosen? The point is, that you were. You were chosen. You were picked. And you were picked for a purpose. Before the foundation of the world, before the sun shone, before the earth had the very first turn, he knew your name and he was ready to initiate your salvation. Before it all. He knew your middle name. You probably have people that you know that don't know your middle name. He knew everything about you. He created a situation to pursue you, to initiate that love, to show you that you have been picked by him and to tell you that you were picked by him for a purpose. You are to be set apart. That'll break your brain, right? Broke mine. His goal is to point out what God was doing. He says that you have value. And think about adoptions for a second, right? Because adoption is kind of the imagery here. How many adoptions are initiated by the kid? How many adoptions are, are a little kid going, hey, I need parents? Right? So how that works. The parent 
goes and pursues and plans and has something in place to go and get that child, to then bring that child into their family. And that's what the God of the universe did for you. It's incredible. He initiated it all. But verse 7 and 8 says that you aren't cheap. He says in verse 7, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, in which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight. How did he adopt you? What did that actually look like? Well, it was Jesus leading a sinless life. It was God the Father seeing a need, seeing that we could not save ourselves, and then sending his son to live that sinless life, to show us what it would be like to literally be in Christ because he is Christ, then to give up his life for us to pay for the sin of the world because the wages of sin is death, to deal with the sin problem. That's not cheap. The average adoption in America costs between 20 to 45 grand. Is that little or a lot? How much did it cost the God of the universe to adopt you? And he did it for all of us. He picked you. He pursued you. He created a situation in which you would be aware of who he was. He revealed himself to you. He equipped people around you to help pursue you. He did it all. He lavished his grace on you. Now, this is not in the text. I've just been reading over this over and over again this week. The word lavished, I couldn't get a dog just licking the snot out of you, out of my head. That's what popped in my head. It's not, it's, it's not the translation. It's not really what it says. It's a bound. It's a lot. But when I hear lavished, I just think of a dog just like, la, 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 la. right? The God of the universe loved you so much that he gave all of that grace to you. He poured it out on you. He initiated it and said, I want this for you. I want to adopt you. God said you were worth it. And he knew the end. He knew how your story ends. And he did it anyway. He knows everything about you. Now, you ever been to one of those restaurants that doesn't have the price, right? And you're like, all right, let me, let me think back through the bank account. Is this going to be a debit card or a credit card transaction? Where, where are we going to be on this one? You didn't know the price. You didn't know what. We, 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 we try to understand what it costs the God of the universe, to come down and live with us and to allow himself to be killed by us and then to raise from the dead. We, we, we can kind of try to think about what that actually costs, but we don't know. We don't know what that actually costs. But he says you're worth it. In verse 9 and 10, he continues his idea with making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which was set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven, and things on earth. He made known to us 
the mystery of his will. Think for a moment, and maybe this is you, and that's okay. That's okay, but don't live there. Think about the people who struggle with all these philosophical questions. Why am I here? What's the purpose of my life? What am I doing? Why am I here at all? Why, right? He answers all of those questions. The mystery of his will for his purpose to unite all things in him, things in heaven, and things on earth. He gave us the plan. He told us what the purpose of our life is. Think about how empowering that is. There's so many people in our world that are running after a political party or they're running after the next goal, the next accomplishment, the next job, the next relationship, whatever it is they're running towards because they think that's the thing that's going to bring their life purpose and the God of the universe gave your life purpose and the purpose is to be in relationship with him, to follow him and to introduce others to him. That's our purpose. We have the answer. And everyone else is struggling with that. And they may not even realize they're struggling with that because they found something that's really working right now. But it's not going to end well because it can't. Nothing can give you purpose like the one who created you. Think about that. The God of the universe created you for a reason. What does it mean to really be in Christ? We, 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 church words, we have Christ follower, we have Christian, we have all these words that we use a lot. But the idea of being in Christ, when your identity is in Christ, you see it in this passage over and over and over again. I believe there's 10 different times where it says in Christ or in him, right? What does it mean to really be in Christ, to be in sync with the God of the universe about what it is you are to be doing? That's living a life with purpose. And verse 11 and 12 says that you have an inheritance. You're now an heir in Christ. We now have eternal life being adopted into God's family. Now, remember, Paul is writing to the Gentiles and to the Jews, right? And he's wrestling with this idea that they're having of, hey, you're second-class citizens. You weren't really like part of the family, it's cool that Jesus saved you, and yeah, that's awesome, but you don't have all of this history that we have with God. I can trace my family's lineage back with following God before Jesus walked the earth, so therefore, you're kind of second class. Paul's dealing with that. And then he points out that now not only do they have a purpose, not only are they called, not only were they not cheap, but they're an heir to God. Who gets the stuff in your will? Is it the people that you don't know all that well? No, it's your family. We have an inheritance with the God of the universe. He, he's literally gone to prepare a place for us. And then when we get into heaven, we get to live with him forever. We get to be eternally with God. We get to be under his reign and rule, Jesus, reigning after revelation. We get to be a part of that. It's incredible. But how do you know? How do you really know that's true? Because a lot of different religions have a lot of different ideas. Sometimes they sound a little similar. 
How do you really know? Well, Paul dealt with that too in verses 13 through 14. He says, In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise and his glory. So we have this God-initiated experience of understanding who he is for the first time in our, in our lives. And we decide, I want to be in Christ. I want to follow Jesus. I want to live a life with him. I, I, I want these promises that he has made. I want to acknowledge that I am sinful and I cannot pay for my own sin. It has to be him. I want to do that. The promise that he gives you, the seal, the seal on the letter so you know where it came from is the Holy Spirit. You get the Holy Spirit. You get a piece of the Trinity directing your life, coordinating your prayers, convicting you when you're off, equipping you to say the thing to that other person at the time they needed to hear it that's way smarter than you've ever sounded. I've had that experience a lot in my life. You get the Holy Spirit, but not just the Holy Spirit for now, but you get the Holy Spirit to realize that, oh, hold on, hold on. I know it to be true. I now know because of the seal of the Holy Spirit that I will live a life eternally with God. That is my promise. Now to the Gentile believer, right? Put yourself in their mind. To the Gentile believer who had that relationship with Jesus, who had decided to follow them, had done those things, now has the Holy Spirit. Do you feel the eureka moment there? Because they're hearing the people that they meet with who had the little biting comments, who have said they're second-class citizens. They read verse 13 and 14, and they're like, yes, I get it. I'm really with Jesus. What does it look like for us? How's the Holy Spirit working in our lives? Have, are we in Christ? Are we following him? What does that look like in Ocala? Now, coming to a close here. In the Roman world, they like to conquer things. It's kind of their deal. They like to expand. They like to go. They like to take over. They like to basically, it'd be like, what if uh, downtown Ocala just decided like, hey, we want the forest. And then we went and we took over the forest, we chopped down all the trees, and we made it look exactly like the square. That's what the Romans did. They went from place to place to place. They took over, they made a lot of roads, they expanded things, and they, they did a really good job of assimilating other cultures into their own. They actually had like almost like classes. So you would be brought in, and part of that process is you would be assimilated into the Roman world. Now, Paul, remember where he is. He's in Rome, waiting to see Nero. He knows of this process. He knows who he's writing to in Ephesus, because Ephesus was just like this, right? They've gone through it. And throughout this entire letter, he's actually kind of guiding them through the same kind of process of what it's like to be assimilated into God's family. Do you see it? See the illustration there? It's really cool. So talks about that idea of, okay, now that someone has died for you, right? So 
You've been conquered. There's been death, right? Now you have an inheritance. You are now with Rome. And now you are going through the process of becoming like a Roman, right? So people are starting to get the illustration because it makes sense to them. And he's doing that, talking to the people that he's in. And you can see in Scripture where actually the guards around him were hearing the gospel. Paul talks about that that time that he was set in that in-house arrest, it was actually good for the gospel because of the work that was happening, not only in the letters he was writing, but to the people that he was preaching to. Going into it, do you think you would have thought that way? Hey, let me, let's just pause my life and be in house arrest for the next two years. That'll be great for the gospel. You can laugh. It sounds silly, right? It sounds silly. But Paul realized it as it was happening because he saw what God was doing. So the question that I have for you is, what circumstances God put you in that seems so jacked up and makes no sense and you don't see how he's going to use it for his kingdom, that purpose, what's that look like? What's that look like in your own life? Because in Paul's, it included a chain and it included some dude next to him who probably smelled bad. I know they had a good bathing system, but he probably still smelled bad. But that's what that looked like for him. But look at the blessing that came out of it. Look at the book of Ephesians. Look at some of the other uh, epistles that Kid Nation is, is studying right now. Right? All of that stuff came out of that. Following the Lord, realizing that you're in his family, realizing that he's in control, not you, and that you're worth it. So, Closing it up, just remember that God picked you and he picked you to be in Christ for his purpose. And here are the questions. What lies are the most effective in holding you back from your in Christ purpose? How would you describe being in Christ to someone that isn't? How's it going being in the circumstance Christ placed you in for his purpose? We would invite you to look through those questions, pray through those this week and think about what God is doing in your life. First, if you haven't realized that God picked you, he picked you. He orchestrated a moment, possibly on a Sunday morning in this church building to present the gospel to you. Do not leave not hearing that Jesus loves you. He paid for all the sins that you will ever commit and he died on that cross for you. Before the foundation of the world, he knew you and wants you to follow him. For those of us that have decided to follow Jesus, think about the fact that all that is true, and I gotta go to work tomorrow. Amen. I get to be in that circumstance that God has called me to be in, to be that light in that community, to show people who Jesus is, and to do it in a way that is Holy Spirit-filled, because you have that seal. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, Lord, thank you for your son Jesus and what you asked him to do. Thank you for the way that he showed us who you are and the way that he interacted with us, and the way that he gave up his life for us. And in all of it, we just read over and over is for your glory. All of this about the purpose that you have for us 
is so that you would unite all things under Jesus. You have a plan. Thank you that we're part of it. Soften our hearts, draw us close, Lord. There's someone here that doesn't know you, Lord. Our prayer is that this would be the opportunity that they would decide to follow you. That they would decide to be in Christ and acknowledge that they can't save themselves, but they can choose to follow you because you picked them. You're good, Lord, and thank you that we get to do this. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.